Hey, Bill Curtis here. On the Wait, Wait podcast you're about to listen to, you'll be able to hear Peter and me, but we can't hear you. But it doesn't have to be that way. With the new Wait, Wait quiz for your smart speaker, we'll ask you questions and be able to hear your answers. Imagine that. A little back and forth between the three of us. Oh, what a glorious age we're living in. Just ask your Alexa or Google Home to open the Wait, Wait quiz. To try it out. If you do well enough, you could win my voice on your voicemail. That's right. Get these pipes without a plumber. Give it a try. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. Hey there, De Niro, get a load of me, Raging Bill, <laughs> Bill Curtis. <laughs> And here's your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, everybody. Flowers are blooming, birds are chirping, and it's time to take a moment to enjoy the spring because pretty soon the only seasons we will have will be summer, summer two, mega summer, and everything's on fire. <laughs> So, while we can still go outside without putting on SPF 500 sunscreen, we're breathing in some fresh air and taking a week off from the news. Instead, we're going to listen back to some segments we love. Let's start with an interview with my second favorite Bill, William Shatner, who joined us back in December. Peter tried not to geek out and failed. So when I was a kid, I loved Star Trek, the original series, of course. I loved it so much that I used to dream of being a crew member on the Enterprise. Not one of those red shirt guys, they get into trouble. But a blue shirt, maybe even a yellow shirt. And I would Easy get... now. All right. I mean, you can, you, can, you can have ambition, but that's my job, okay? All right, all right, all right. <laughs> this isn't how I thought it would go, but I dreamed in those days that I would someday get to talk to Captain Kirk himself We'll now find out if that's as good as I dreamed it would be because William Shatner has a new album of Christmas songs out and he joins us now. William Shatner, welcome to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Well, what a pleasure. What a joy to talk to you. I'm really excited to be on because I've got to tell you, I've listened to the program over the years. It's one of my favorites, driving somewhere on a Saturday afternoon. Wait, wait, don't tell me. Thank you. I can't tell you what it means to me to know that you listen to me after I spent so many happy hours watching you. Yes, but I didn't know it was you. All right. <laughs> um, you have a new record out. You've become quite a recording artist. I, I have. I've got uh, two records, uh, two albums out this year, uh, a country music album and this Christmas album that we've called Shatner Claus. Nice. <laughs> um, now, your singing career, if I may be so bold, began with a record that you put out when you were playing Captain Kirk back in the 60s called The Transformed Man. Yes. I've listened to the whole thing. Well, how I, pity is no, the no, only no. thing I feel. And, and this is the famous record where you did that, that eventually infamous version of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Yes. As I'm sure you know, this became, uh, shall we put it, a, a novelty song after a while and, and subject of, 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 of much amusement. I believe the word derision is the yes, word yes, 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 yes. <laughs> 
it. And, 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 and was that hard for you to deal with when that became like a hilariously funny thing that people were sharing back? Well, I understood it. It does enter the area of uh, the perception of silly. Right. But it didn't bother you. You kind of embraced that as the singing William Shatner. No, no. It bothered me and I embraced it. <laughs> So we all know the famous uh, sketch you did on Saturday Night Live where you're at a, you're at a uh, Star Trek convention and you express some, shall we say, impatience with your more avid fans. Was that reflecting your experience? No, it was meant as a joke, and I'm sorry that you took it so seriously that you moved out of your parents' apartment. I know. <laughs> <laughs> It's all, it's all right. <laughs> I was getting but tired look, of my mother's but look cooking. look what it's done for you. I know, I feel You're good. You're the master of I, ceremonies of these silly questions. I know. <laughs> I know that there has been, because there's been so many versions of Star Trek since the best one, um, that a lot of people spend their time arguing over which captain was better. I assume you believe it was Kirk rather than Picard or any of the well, other Well, I don't know what the argument is about, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, do you, I mean, do you actually like get together with, uh, with the other actors and ever hash this out? Yes. Uh, several blows were struck. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think everybody thinks they're the best, and I, I, I just leave them in their uh, quandary. I, I don't uh, want to disturb their mental uh, uh, stability. One of the things that so many people have done over the years is they do their William Shatner impressions. Yes. I have done a William Shatner impression. I'm I'd not like going to hear to... it. No. <laughs> no. Do it. No, I can't. How could Come I? On. To the, in the face of the... In the face of the... All right. Oh, All right. Peter, do it! I would like... By popular... By popular demand, you're being requested to do the imitation. All right. Uh, the only thing I can think of to do uh, is the episode where you... Uh, the crew of the Enterprise ends up uh, on the planet where the comms are finding, fighting the Yangs, if you remember this, and Captain Kirk and the crew of the Enterprise save them by introducing the U.S. Constitution. Remember uh, this one? Uh, well, vaguely, yes. Yes, and so... You, are you going to recite the Constitution? Well, I don't well, know I'm not, I'm not, put up with And this is one of the great things, is that, is that Captain Kirk sort of gets this document and he says, here's the sign that says, we, the, people! Wait a minute, wait a minute! Well, William Shatner, as you can tell, we're all pretty delighted to talk to you, but we must do our business. We have invited you here to play a game we're calling Con Film Festival. <laughs> so one of the greatest moments in all of cinema, we would agree, was you shouting Con in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Con. So we thought we'd ask you about a different con, uh, the Cannes Film Festival in France. Answer two out of three right. You'll win our prize for one of our listeners, the voice of anyone they like on their voicemail. Bill, who was William Shatner playing for? Chris Totcher of Columbus, Ohio. I know him. <laughs> Here is your first question. Martin Scorsese has been a fixture at Cannes since the 70s, but he always hasn't had the best relationship with the press, who, of course, swarm con. In 1978, talking to the press, he decided to stop all the interviews. Why? A, he ran out of cocaine, saying, no more coke, no more interviews. B, he called the police on a reporter who asked him, how tall are you anyway? Or C, he snapped and responded to a question by shouting, you talking to me? You talking to me? 
Mm. <laughs> well, it's got to be that he snapped. Uh, he did. Uh, he, he snapped and started shouting, you, ta- you talking to me? You talking to me? Yeah. No, in fact, it was the cocaine, you know, the 70s. Different time. All right, next question. Khan is famous for the film competition, but also for elaborate publicity stunts around it, such as when one company once did what? A, swarmed the celebrities on the red carpet with 200 fake zombies, resulting in three actors getting bitten. B, poisoned the food at the party's buffet just to entice partygoers to visit some porta-potties that were covered with ads. Or C, storming the famous Hotel du Cop Eden Rock with fake terrorists dressed like ISIS members. Uh, that's the kind of thing they would do. The last one? <laughs> yeah. You're right, Captain, that's what they did. <laughs> It was supposed to promote this company's broadband services. It did not help. All right. Last question. If you get this right, you win. And my life has meaning. The festival uh, can be dangerous, as in which of these happened? A, over the years, at least 14 women and four men have fainted from being crammed into too tight outfits for the runway. B, when the actress Simone Silva took off her top in a photo shoot with co-star Robert Mitchum, two photographers suffered broken bones in the ensuing crush. Or C, the sound of all the cameras going off attracts hordes of wild dogs known as the Les Chiennes du Cinéma. I, I, I love the picture of, uh, of Mitchum standing by while the lady disrobes and people are crushed. That's the one you're going to go with? Yeah. You're right! That's what happened. The ensuing photograph in which Mitchum is kind of using his hands as a makeshift bra, Mm. that picture is actually one of the most famous images to be taken at Cannes. Bill, how did William Shatner do in our quiz? Two out of three, and Captain, that's a win. Congratulations. (laughs) William Shatner's new Christmas album, Shatner Claus, is out now. William Shatner, thank you so much for joining us. Here's an unaired moment from one of our past shows. Helen. Yes. Helen, with more and more states legalizing pot, the hot new trend, as I'm sure you all know. (laughs) The hot new trend is cannabis drinks. However, the manufacturers of these drinks are facing a challenge. What? A problem amongst cannabis drinks Mm -hmm. is that uh, you drink one and then you fall asleep. So they don't really sell a lot of them. No, that's not the problem. Um, Can I have a hint? Uh, Well, you may not notice by the third one. Oh, it takes a while for it to hit, so you're just blazed. No, that's not the problem. It's a much more basic problem for people selling beverages. Um, you pee the weed out? I, I feel like every single answer you've given is the right answer. This is probably all true. If there are people who are making these beverages listening, they're probably taking notes and going, yeah, that's also a problem. I'm going to put it this way. I imagine if these things do come to market in the way they're supposed to, we will see a lot of sophisticated stoners sort of picking one up, holding their nose, and then pouring it up. Oh, it stinks. No, it tastes bad. It tastes bad. It tastes bad. Oh, gosh. It was so basic. I told you. I was like way overthinking. 
tasting it. You were, in fact. Oh, it tastes like yuck. It does. It tastes exactly like yuck. <laughs> Uh, actually, they do taste terrible. They have flavors described as, quote, oily grass and Ew. having notes of, quote, dish soap and urine. Mm. I know, I think you're thinking of Zima. <laughs> <laughs> it really gives a new meaning to this buds for you. So it's after the show where we need to relax. We reach into our bags for our favorite snacks. Fresh from the jar, we don't have to look far, so let's break it up, shake it up, buy out the bar, yeah. I got a bag of buds and now I'm grinding, grinding, making it so right soon, I'll be twisting one up. When we come back, a bluff game that's a real blast, and the great Candace Bergen. That's in a minute on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Trader Joe's, where beach-worthy fashion is always in style, and you never have to wait for delicious foods and beverages from around the world. Speaking of waiting, you don't have to wait any longer for more episodes of Trader Joe's original podcast series, Inside Trader Joe's. You'll find new episodes on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. More at TraderJoe's.com and at Trader Joe's on Instagram and Pinterest. Hi, Ophira Eisenberg here, host of NPR's Hour of Puzzles, Word Games, and Trivia, Ask Me Another. This month, we're celebrating women in comedy, and this week, we're joined by Retta. You may know her from her role on NBC's Parks and Recreation or her new series, Good Girls. Listen and subscribe now. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis, and here's your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. This week, we're taking a break from the news, going outside, and just binge-watching the world go by. Have you seen this show called The Clouds? The special effects are amazing. <laughs> While Bill applies sunscreen, let's keep listening to our favorite segments from the last year. Here's a recent bluff game that became an instant classic. Hi, Peter. This is Michael Holbert, and I'm calling from Shelburne Falls, Massachusetts. Shelburne Falls, Massachusetts? I thought I knew Massachusetts well, but I have no idea where that is. It's a little bit west of Greenfield. All right. Well... <laughs> Uh, are you just making up town names to frustrate me? Because I've never heard of Greenfield either. What do you do there? I am a musician and performer in a small theater company called the Agile Rascal Bicycle Touring Theater. That's great. And... <laughs> Bicycle touring? Yes, we uh, perform original works in theater, and we tour them on bicycles, and we perform for free. So you, you, <laughs> you said to yourself, you know, it's impossible to make a living in the theater, but let's, it's not hard enough. Let's, <laughs> let's make sure that when we show up, we'll be sweaty. How are we going to break into the Shelbyville market? <laughs> <laughs> you make it in Shelbyville, well, then you can move over to Greentown or whatever the hell. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hello, Michael. It's nice to have you with us. Good to talk to you. You're going to play our game in which you must try to tell truth from fiction. Bill, what is the topic? Bullseye. Darts. That's the game we play in bars mostly because that's definitely the time to be picking up sharp objects and throwing them. But what's a pastime here is a sport in Great Britain. And in fact, there was a big 
controversy, as they say over there, at this year's Grand Slam of Darts tournament. Our panelists are each gonna tell you about it. Only one of them is telling the truth. Pick that one, you will win our prize, the voice of your choice on your voicemail. Are you ready to play? Yes, I am. All right, first let's hear from Bim Adewanmi. The world of professional darts, like any other high-performance sport, has its fair share of gamesmanship. From well-timed coughing jags to exaggerated sniffling, darts has seen and heard it all. But has it smelled it all? Things escalated this month following allegations of an ill wind, specifically one emanating from the behind of Scottish darts player Gary the Flying Scotsman Anderson. In a post-match debrief after being blown out in a match 10-2, Wesley Sparky Harms, Anderson's Dutch rival, accused the two-time PDC world champion of releasing something a little stronger than his signature smooth throw all to gain the upper hand on the hockey. Anderson staunchly denied the allegation, instead turning the accusation back on his rival. I swear on my children's lives that it was not my fault, he said. He then breezily relied on the classic he who smelt it dealt it defense <laughs> of all of our childhoods. Anderson, the winner, went on to describe the smell as eggs, rotten eggs. <laughs> But, he insisted, the stink hadn't come from him. Whoever the eye-watering stench came from, it'll take a while to disperse. Harms, presumably sporting a mean stink eye, <laughs> told Dutch TV channel RTL7, it'll take me two nights to lose the smell from my nose. <laughs> a gaseous controversy between two players at the Grand Slam of Darts. Your next story of a dart debacle comes from Brian Babylon. Everyone at the International Darts Championship was impressed by one of the first American women to make it to the finals. Dr. Cherie Gertzen, a agricultural chemist professor from the University of Nebraska, who was competing while wearing a classic Cornhuskers farmer's overall and plaid shirt with farm girl pigtails. The British tabloids called her Dr. Pippi Long Darts. <laughs> The semifinal round started like any other. Dr. Gertzen and her challenger, Charles Cook, walked out and shook hands. By the second round, Charles Cook was visibly sweating and also whispering to each dart before he threw them. His last six throws missed the target entirely. Things looked good for the American, but then her behavior also became erratic. She started gazing at each dart, turning them around, touching the point with her thumb, and then seemed surprised each time that they were sharp. Finally, the match was called on account of both contestants not being able to continue. Finally, the disorientated Dr. Gertzen admitted to the truth. She laced her hands in a hallucinogenic frog toxin she made in the lab in order to get an edge on her opponent. Sadly, the antidote she created for herself didn't work as good as she hoped. In her last statement before being disqualified and ordered off the venue, she said, sometimes darts go on the target. Sometimes a target comes to you. Sometimes I can hear my own smells. Woo! Go corn huskers. An American tried to use frog or toad toxins to defeat her opponent, but it backfired. Your last story of some bullseye BS comes from Tom Papa. The 2018 Grand Slam of Darts was not without controversy this year. For the first time in its storied history, the games were the focus of animal rights protesters who were contending 
that the Dart Association is promoting animal cruelty by continuing to use the term bullseye. <laughs> a crowd of protesters heckled attendees as they entered the building, holding up signs that read, stick a dart in your own eye. <laughs> what did the bull do to you? And Trump sucks. <laughs> a spokesman for SAFE, the Save Animals from Exploitation organization, said it's time for the dark community to stop using the defenseless bull as its plaything. We went for the fox hunters, we're eliminating the bullseye, and we're coming after the flea circus next. <laughs> Jonathan Haskell, the head of the National Dart Association, seemed genuinely perplexed by the protests. We've had complaints before, but mainly about our drinking and our hygiene. This is a new one to me. All right, one of these happened at a major darts tournament in Great Britain. Was it from Bim Adewanme, one competitor saying that the guy who beat him got a unfair advantage by passing gas? From Brian Babylon, how an American competitor tried to use toad toxin to hallucinate her way to a victory. Or from Tom Papa, how animal rights protesters disrupted the event because they protested the term bullseye. Which of these is the real story of an event at the big darts tournament? Well, I think I'm gonna go with BIMS. You're gonna go with, you think uh, you're gonna go with BIMS? Uh, why, why are you choosing BIMS? Uh, farts are hilarious. <laughs> I, um, all right, you're choosing Bim's story, and to bring you the real story of what happened at this darts tournament, we spoke to a genuine sports journalist. There was a really strong smell of farts in the air while he was attempting to play, so there was a taste of easy smell to dunk it. That was Des Beeler, he's a sports reporter for the Washington Post, <laughs> talking to us with great seriousness about the dart farter. <laughs> so, Michael, you got it right. You were correct. <laughs> the farts are hilarious. The Bim was telling the truth. You've won our prize, the voice of your choice, on your voicemail. Thank you so much for playing. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Long before the fictional newscasters on Fox News, there was the fictional newscaster Murphy Brown. The incredible Candace Bergen brought Murphy Brown to life for 11 seasons, and she joined us on stage at Carnegie Hall back in December. The show would never have been brought back if the election had turned out the way we wanted. Really? If Hillary Clinton were president, we would never have brought the show back. Really? So, yeah. so what do you know? Donald Trump created a job. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So I'm taking it Murphy Brown is not very happy with the current president. Oh, well, we've had, it really, the, the man is a gift. Every day is a gift. It really is. That's and such a positive way to yes. look at what's going yeah, on. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know how many people who are fans of you now know this, but you were, in fact, 
an extraordinarily famous child because your father was one of the most famous Americans alive, right? Edgar Bergen. I don't, I don't think he was that famous, but he was... I think he was pretty famous. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, your father, again, for those who don't know, was the world's most famous and successful ventriloquist. He had a dummy, Charlie McCarthy. And he, he was also a, a famous ventriloquist on radio. Yes. Which. <laughs> and I have to say, I have, and I mean no offense, I've seen archival film of your father doing his act, and just like people say, I have a face for radio, he was a ventriloquist for radio. Exactly. <laughs> Did you grow up really in, the, in your early years thinking that you were um, Charlie McCarthy's sister? Oh, yes. I was always called Charlie McCarthy's sister, and um, but but he was far more than a brother. He was, he was like a head of state in our house, <laughs> and he had a room next to mine. And every now and then, my father would bring him out, and we would just kind of sit. And once, I mean, I remember once we would have in the breakfast room, he would put Charlie on one knee and me on the other, and and. Um, he, when he would squeeze my neck, it meant that I should move my mouth. <laughs> he, would, he would put you on a knee and treat you as if you were another ventriloquist dummy? That's correct, yes. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, Char- Charlie must have been so jealous. Um, skipping ahead a bit. Yes. Uh, in the 90s, you starred in Murphy Brown which I, as much as any other sort of sitcom or TV show it exemplified the 90s. It was like the, a dominant show. And of course, it became quite political when Dan Quayle famously went after, not you, but your character. Did he know that it was a fictional character? <laughs> I don't think Dan Quayle had ever seen the show. Oh, really? But he was savvy. They, his handlers had taken the line about Murphy out of his speech, and he reinserted it into the speech and that's all anybody talked about I remember for the entire six months of the campaign it was on it was on the front page of every paper it was in every political cartoon every editorial it just didn't let up right don't those seem like beautiful simpler times (laughs) yeah (laughs) you won in the original run five Emmys yeah the lead actress in a in a comedy yeah and I was going to say that's almost unfair to the competition, but apparently you realized that yourself. And is this true that you'd said, please don't nominate me anymore? You turned it down? I didn't say, please don't. I just didn't submit myself for nomination. I, I didn't, like, go and say, please don't nominate me. Oh, no, no, don't do this. No, please. <laughs> and yes. did you take your five Emmys home and then bludgeon Charlie McCarthy with them? <laughs> Oh, that's an interesting question. Charlie where is he? Where is Charlie McCarthy? He's, he's in, in the Smithsonian. Yeah, he's in the Smithsonian. Do you, you, Absolutely. Yeah, like, I, yeah, as, as Faith said, you ever bring your Emmys down there and go, hey, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> you may have gotten the inheritance, but I got these little babies. <laughs> One day I'm going to break out of this glass, and I swear to God, <laughs> I'm going to steal those Emmys. Candace, when you were on The Muppet Show... Yeah. Uh, what was that like? Was that like a, a trippy nostalgia to go right. back to talking with puppets or yeah. what? Those were your cousins. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say it was a medium I was very comfortable yeah. with. <laughs> Pinocchio, or Grandpa, as you call him. <laughs> well... Well, Candace Bergen, we could talk to you all day, but... All right. 
But we have invited you here to play a game we're calling Murphy Brown Meet Murphy's Law. Murphy's Law, of course, as I'm sure you know, is the law of the universe that anything that can go wrong will go wrong. We're going to ask you three questions about examples of Murphy's Law in effect. If you get two right, you'll win a prize to one of our listeners, the voice of their choice on their voicemail. Bill, who is Candace Bergen playing for? Dylan Watton of Queens, New York. Here, are you ready to do this? Sure. Okay, first question. McDonald's commissioned an internal corporate webpage once to help its employees eat better, but they had to take it down after what inevitably happened. A, the employees all gained an average of 20 pounds over six months. B, it, it illustrated the concept of poor nutrition with a picture of a McDonald's meal. <laughs> or C, it encouraged people to go out and eat at Burger King. <laughs> I would say that because they gained 20, 25 pounds. You think that McDonald's gave its employees nutrition advice and they all followed it and they all ballooned like the Hindenburg. Well, isn't that what happens? Not in this case. What happened was <laughs> they, the webpage they commissioned to illustrate good eating habits used a picture of a McDonald's cheeseburger and french fries <laughs> to illustrate what you should not eat. <laughs> so the McDonald's corporation quickly took it down. <laughs> All right, you still have two more chances, not a problem here. Bill Hillman was gored by a bull in Spain, bad enough, but it happened shortly after he did what? A, was arrested for 27 different incidents of cow tipping. B, wrote a book called How to Survive the Bulls of Pamplona. Or C, put on his new bright red cape. B, yeah, B. Yes, I'll go with you. You're right. They're right. Everybody's right. That's what happened. He didn't read his own book. All right, last one. If you get this right, you win. A big game hunter in Zimbabwe was killed last year when what happened? A, a zebra caught sight of a zebra print bikini briefs and thought he was a rival male. B, one of his fellow hunters mistook him for a, quote, balding lion. Or C, he shot an elephant, and the elephant fell on him. I guess the elephant fell on him. That's what happened. Yeah. It's tragic. But at least, at least we know one of them died happy. <laughs> Bill, how did Candace Bergen do on our quiz? She won. Congratulations. Congratulations. Somewhere in the Smithsonian Institution, a wooden dummy just went... Damn. <laughs> Candace Bergen stars as Murphy Brown on the show Murphy Brown, back after a short hiatus. It airs Thursday nights on CBS. She was just nominated for a Golden Globe for the part. Candace Bergen, thank you so much. Candace Bergen, ladies and gentlemen. When we come back, two very tall men, Conan O'Brien and NBA star Aaron Gordon. One of them is good at basketball. Find out which one in a minute from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. With the new Capital One Saver card, you can earn 4% cash back on dining and entertainment. That means 4% on checking out that new restaurant everybody's talking about and 4% on watching your team win at home. Now when you go out, you cash in. 
You'll also earn 2% cash back at grocery stores and 1% on all other purchases. What's in your wallet? Summer movie season is here and Pop Culture Happy Hour has you covered. For a guide through the blockbusters you know about and the surprise bright spots you might not, we'll tell you what we are looking forward to, what we're secretly dreading, and what might sneak up on us. Listen now and subscribe. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis, and here is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago, Peter Segal. Thank you, Bill. Thank you so much. We are taking the week off from news. We're getting outside, and we're enjoying some fresh air. I love fresh air. Have you heard Terry Gross's interview with Conan O'Brien? <laughs> so much better than ours. <laughs> Well, that is definitely true. We still had a pretty good time with him. Conan joined us back in January. Let's listen. I was a young writer at Saturday Night Live, and I was the writer that was kind of known to sort of perform my sketches for the other writers, and I'd perform them uh, for people, and I'd get them laughing. I think Lauren Michaels noticed that. I left Saturday Night Live. I went on to The Simpsons, and I worked there for about a year and a half, two years, when Lauren Michaels was charged with who's the new guy who's going to replace Letterman? And uh, he said, you know, there's this guy, Conan. He's got something. And um, they looked into it, and it turns out I really didn't have anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I fooled him, and here we are all these years later. So. I know. It must have been crazy those first years, because you, you, know, you weren't a stand-up, you didn't have a following as a performer, and you were thrown, you're going to be in national television. Were you scared? Were you nervous? Were you excited? I was deluded, and I, I, I want to advise your audience that there's nothing like delusion. There's nothing like, mm. if you think you can't do something, convince yourself that you can, and then have a few drinks and go do it. Hey, Conan, it's Mo. Hi. Mo, so, how dare you speak to me directly? I know. I, 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 for, I Mo, forgot. Here's how I, we're going to work, Mo. Mo, here's how we're going to work it. Your question has to go through Bill Curtis, and then Bill Curtis has to ask it. Okay. Bill, would you ask Conan? I've heard that a, a lot of late night show hosts, when they get home, a lot of times they can't even remember who was a guest earlier that day at the taping because they're, they're doing so many shows. Could you ask him about that? Conan, can you remember the guests on the show that night? Bill, that's a really stupid question. <laughs> um, yes, uh, you know what's funny? Uh, uh, to Mo's point, no, you do the show and it becomes, you're so in the moment when you're doing it, and I liken the whole experience, and I'm actually not even kidding about this. I think everyone's probably in your audience is familiar with the famous toy, the Etch-A-Sketch, yes. where you turn the knobs, you create a, a picture, you create something, and then you just shake it and it's gone and you start again. Every day I come in and I learn everything I can that I need to know for that show, and I learn it to the best that I can, and I can tell you everything about the guests, and I can tell you everything about the comedy. The minute it's over, I shake the Etch-A-Sketch, and all of it's gone, and I go home, and I don't know what we did. I've done 4,000 hours of broadcasting. I'm told nine of it quite good. Yeah. <laughs> well, Colin O'Brien, we are delighted to talk to you, but we have asked you here to play a game we're calling Team Coco Meet Hot Coco. Your supporters, fans, are known as Team Coco. But what do you know about actual Coco, the tasty hot chocolate beverage? I know what? everything oh. about Coco. Really? Yes, I do. That's a bold statement, sir. 
There's not a thing you can ask me about hot cocoa that I do not know. Well, I am interested in what's going to happen now because we have, in fact, prepared three questions for you about hot cocoa. If you answer two of them correctly, you will win our prize for one of our listeners, the voice of their choice on their voicemail. Are you ready to do this? I was born ready. Who is Conan O'Brien playing for? Chase McGee of Raleigh, North Carolina. All right. First question. You think it's just what kids drink instead of coffee, but hot cocoa can change your life. As it did for whom? A, Bernie Madoff, who after he was convicted and imprisoned for fraud, quote, cornered the prison market on Swiss Miss hot chocolate. <laughs> B, Jeff Bezos, whose first internet business was delivering steaming cups of hot chocolate to people suffering through the Seattle winter. Or C, Eric McMillan, who was inspired to invent the kid's ball pit by looking at mini marshmallows floating in his hot chocolate. The answer is Eric McMillan. You're very confident. <laughs> Peter, I'm going to say this one more time. <laughs> it was actually A. It was Bernie Madoff. He I'd, like to, I'd like to uh, contest. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, Jeff, apparently, you know, a, a born trader is a born trader, and he's apparently made, made very well for himself in prison with the Swiss Miss hot chocolate. What? Yeah. Come you know on. why Jesus. I got that one wrong? Why? Because I believe in our penal reform system, and I don't I'm shocked that they would let Bernie Madoff do that. So in a way, I'm counting that answer is correct. All right. I like your confidence. People, real, this is your second question, people really love cocoa a lot, so much so that at one time, people were doing what? A, mixing protein powder into cocoa, so it would be the only thing they'd ever have to eat. B, snorting lines of cocoa powder, like Coke, or C, trying to have it transfused into their body instead of blood? Mm. The answer is B, snorting cocaine, uh, well, cocoa as cocaine. <laughs> Sorry. Freudian um, slip there. Old habits yeah. by heart. <laughs> the answer is B, snorting cocoa. You're right, cocoa. Conan. <laughs> snorting chocolate was championed by a Belgian chocolatier who invented a little device that would shoot cocoa powder into your nose. Oh, I know that engineer, and I've worked with him. <laughs> have, you, have you tried the snorting coke? Uh, yes, I have. It's fantastic. There's an incredible high. <laughs> it lasts for about 20 minutes, and then uh, you, uh, you have to cough out the marshmallows. But that, it's, a, it's a wonderful experience. I bet. And when you wake up, you're wearing German shorts. I don't know why. <laughs> All right, last question. You can get this right. For true chocolate lovers, there's a pill created by a French scientist which for $13 a bottle will do what? A, make anything you eat, including meat, taste like chocolate. B, make your farts smell like chocolate. Or C, it gives you chocolate dandruff. Instead of dry skin, you shed chocolate flakes. The answer is A. Your answer is A, that it makes anything you eat, Taste including exactly, exactly like, like chocolate. chocolate. So you'd be sitting there eating, say, prime rib. Yes, and kimchi. It would say, yes, chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. It's B. No. Yes. I'm sorry, but yes, the idea is it's a little pill, and you take it, and if you take it, your farts smell like chocolate. No way. There's also a strawberry option. You know what? I'm going to tell you something. I didn't go for that because it's scatological. I don't work blue. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize this was that kind of show. <laughs> But uh, I guess it's all about farts now. Yeah. With you, and I hope you're proud of yourself. <laughs> Bill, how did Conan O'Brien do on our show? We throw the score out because he's the only guest we've had when anything he says is right. Conan? 
You're the king. You Ready know to have. Thank you. Conan O'Brien is the host of so many shows, including the new podcast, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. You can also see him on Conan Without Borders on Netflix and on Conan on TBS. Conan O'Brien, what a pleasure to finally have you on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See you soon, I hope. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the Walton Family Foundation, where opportunity takes root. More information is available at waltonfamilyfoundation.org. And here's some more previously unaired material, never been heard before. Jesse, a wealthy New York real estate developer, went through a bitter, expensive divorce with his wife of 50 years. And to let his ex-wife know he's better off with his new younger bride, this week he put his wedding photos where? Um, in in the New York Times wedding section. Oh no, not big enough for him. Oh, uh, Times Square. Close. It's not far from there, but he put it on a uh, on a billboard. You no, know, I'll give it to you. He put it on the side of a building, like a billboard, owns. like <laughs> a f- Peter. Billboards don't come this big. He put up a picture of himself and his new wife, 42 feet high, each oh, of them, wow. oh. on the sides of a building he owns in New York. Harry Macklow is now divorced and happily remarried, and what better way to celebrate than rub it in everybody's face? <laughs> Once he found out that he's not legally allowed to rub things in other people's faces, he settled for the next best thing, putting up enormous photos of himself and his bride on the sides of one of his Park Avenue buildings. He said, quote, since I wasn't getting married during the summer in the Hamptons, I wasn't able to hire an airplane with a banner to go up and down the shoreline. The Hamptons losses are game. The pictures are big enough so that you can see the realization in the new Mrs. Macklow's eyes that this maybe wasn't a good idea. Well, it sounds like he's definitely over his act. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Support for NPR comes from Newman's Own Foundation, working to nourish the common good by donating all profits from Newman's Own food products to charitable organizations that seek to make the world a better place. More information is available at newmansownfoundation.org. We have time for one more segment as we take the week off to play outside, so let's hear from someone who spends most of his time playing inside. Orlando Magic star Aaron Gordon joined us on stage when we went down to Orlando in November. Peter looks so tiny next to him. We got fans. I, I gotta ask you, I, I should admit, I'm not you know, conversant with like the basketball stuff. How is it that someone the size of the Statue of Liberty <laughs> is a small forward? I would like to think of myself as a powerful small forward. Right. You know, it's just like kind of a mixture of a couple of different is there, things. Is there's like a power forward and then there's a small forward. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of like a lot of, maybe a hyphen. In hyphen, there. yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> is the power forward more of a ball hog? Because it sounds like the small forward is nicer and shares the ball <laughs> hog. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to rebounding, yes. Okay. The power uh, forward can just be as ball hog-ish as he'd like to be. <laughs> Your whole family is, yeah. is a family of basketball players. Your, your parents played? Your father played? Yep. Dad played at uh, San Diego State. Yeah. And, um, and your brother plays pro ball? Uh, he played pro ball overseas. He's been to a, a bunch of places. So he, he plays, and then my sister played at uh, Harvard. Right. And she was, so she was a Harvard basketball player, and I play. Right. So I imagine 
your, your friendly games are out at home are absolutely oh, vicious. Oh my gosh! Oh, yeah. they were they were uh, gruesome at really? times. Do you guys, because I, I know that one of the things the NBA is known for is trash talk. Do you trash talk your siblings? Oh, definitely. All right, tell me something. <laughs> All right, let's go with what you say to your sister. Uh, it's kind of like the same. I'm the youngest. Right. So, um, just by nature, I'm the most annoying. Right. Of course. That's, that's your role. I have a younger brother. So yeah. it's more like, nah, 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 nah. Yeah. I'm better. You're not. You know yeah. what I mean? Along the lines of yeah. that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, just do you like leave your NBA contract out on a table? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I left this here. Let me pick it up. Oh, some money fell out of my pocket. Let me grab that as well. So, you, you are known for, for, for your enthusiasm for the slam dunk contest. Yes. 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 And, and, and uh, you, did, you did a slam dunk in which you vaulted on top of and then over the mascot. Yeah. And, and you, just, you just go up to the mascot and say, you're just going to stand there and I'm going to jump up, put my hands in your head and go over you and you're going to hold up the ball. And the mascot was like, okay. <laughs> the, mascot, right. like, the mascot does not say no it's, it's, to Aaron Gordon. It's actually, it's really funny because uh, Stuff the Magic Dragon, he's a great mascot. You know what I mean? He's a great mascot. He is. Yeah. He, he's a, just like green dragon. He has these uh, stars on the top of his head. And um, when I was practicing, I, I couldn't get the grip of the ball right. So I was like, Stuff, buddy. <laughs> Uh, you might need to take the stars off your head. And he was really going to take one for the team. He was a team player. And we did it, and I got the dunk, but I could just see the sadness in his mascot, like, in his body language. Like, he had, he had lost a part of himself with the stars, you know? So, yeah, so we were like, okay, we put the stars back on his head. It, it, it just, I had to make it work for the sake of him. Uh, that's <laughs> A heartwarming story. <laughs> yes, that's my good friend these days. Well, Aaron Gordon, we have invited you here to play a game we're calling Abracadabra. You play for the Orlando Magic, but what do you know about real magic, by which we mean magic shows? <laughs> We're going to ask you three questions about great magicians. Answer two of them correctly, and you will win our prize for one of our listeners, the voice of their choice on their voicemail. Bill, who is Aaron playing for? Hal Ray of Tampa, Florida. Okay, Florida boy. All right, here we go. All right. Here's your first question. One of the great magicians of the late 19th century was Harry Keller. How did Keller learn to do his greatest trick? The levitating woman. Was it A, he was a practicing Buddhist who attained enlightenment and was given control over gravity? B, he tied the woman to a thousand trained fleas who flew her upward? Or C, he walked up on stage while another magician was doing the trick, ran around back to see what was done, and then ran away? I'm gonna go with the latter one. You're correct! All right, all right, I like that. I like that. It was pretty daring. But that's yeah. how you get to be a legend of magic. <laughs> All right, second question. Let's see if you do as well. Another great magician of that golden era of magic was Carter the Great. And one of his famous tricks was which of these? A, the magical divorce, a trick in which he made his own <laughs> wife disappear. <laughs> B, the disappearing theater, in which the entire audience found itself in a suddenly vacant lot sitting on their butts. Oh, or see the vaguely disquieting meal in which Carter ate an ear of corn raw. <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to go with B. You're going to go with B, the disappearing theater. All of a sudden, everybody was out there sitting on their butts in a field. 
That's the one. That's the one. He picked it, and sadly, he missed this shot. No, I'm afraid. Oh, dang. So it was actually the magical divorce. He made his wife disappear. His wife eventually decided that wasn't funny. <laughs> so he changed so she, she the name. She was still around. She's still around. She stayed married to him, but he okay. changed the name of the trick to the Phantom Bride. So this is your last question. If you get this right, you win. Okay. Some magicians have been able to use their skills in real life, such as in which of these? A, Doug Henning, who used to skip out on dinner checks by making himself disappear during dessert. <laughs> B, Penn Gillette, who for three years has made himself look like he's lost 100 pounds by constantly surrounding himself with trick mirrors. <laughs> or C, David Copperfield, who once made his wallet disappear while he was being mugged. I'm going to go with Copperfield. And You're going to go with David Copperfield. That's right, everybody. Yeah. Thanks. He says he was being mugged uh, outside and walking to his car after performance. Some guy came up, tried to mug him, and he made his watch, wallet, and passport disappear. Oh, man. Bill, how did Aaron do in our quiz? Two out of three is a win. Congratulations. Yes. Aaron Gordon is the small forward for the Orlando Magic. Aaron Gordon, right. thank you for joining us for more That's it for our little break from the news. We'll be back next week, refreshed and ready to go. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is a production of NPR and WBEZ Chicago in association with Urgent Haircut Productions, Doug Berman, Benevolent Overlord. Philip Godica writes our limericks. Our house manager is Tyler Green, assisted by Simon Tran and Mary Olio. Our interns are Alex McCohen and Rachel Klepper. Our web guru is Beth Novi. BJ Lederman composed our theme. Our program is produced by Jennifer Mills, Miles Dornboss, and Lillian King. Our spirit animal is Peter Gwynn. Technical direction is from Lorna White. Public address announcer, that's Paul Friedman. Our master of operations is Colin Miller. Our production coordinator is Robert Newhouse. Our senior producer is Ian Chillog. And the executive producer of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is Mike Danforth. Thanks to Bill Curtis, to all the panelists you heard, all our listener contestants, and all our special guests, and to our bosses for letting us take a week off. I'm Peter Sagal. We will see you next week. This is NPR.